This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a Building Big Training Day where Terry Virgo was talking about how to build big churches and movements and we have a series of excerpts from that day that we want to bring you. Today we're bringing you the third of those excerpts where Terry is talking about how we can be sure of God's will. You can find the full notes on everything that Terry is talking about at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 64. So here is Terry Virgo. I think it just high into the history a little bit. We'd been 11 years in Seaford. Um, they call it Seaford locally. Um, and uh, by the time I finished, I only preached five times my last, son, my last year. So the young men were carrying the work. Now, I would say this, it never became a very big work. Seaford's a very small town. Uh, I think 15,000 when we lived there. And I feel that God... When you look back now, and I see some of the battles people fight in home and away, um, I just think it was a mercy from God that actually I, I was in a quite a small church in a small town, a bit hidden away. By the time I moved to Brighton, I was working with like probably about 25 churches. I'd helped either get started or as we beginning to get into London, see them turn around completely. The church Steve Tibbet now leads was called Alaford Chapel, and it, they just said, would you come? It was the first time we'd ever got involved in a building, a church with its own history, not a house church, a church with its own history. And I went, and did, I went for a week. Several people got filled with the Spirit. We had a great week. Would you come regularly? I started going regularly, and he turned that church around, a conventional chapel in South London, and it came alive. And then others said, would you come, help, help. And uh, I was already doing that, and then the door came to Brighton. This is an interesting one, this is to me. Um, I was in America, uh, and uh, the first time I'd ever been to America, and uh, I was in a, a place called Oburn, near Sacramento, and uh, the guy who was hosting this conference uh, lived in this little town called Oburn, but everything was happening in Sacramento. That's where he gathered his meetings. And by that time, once a month, I get all these house church people on a Monday night to come to the town hall. It started initially in the hotel, then Brighton Pavilion, and then Hove Town Hall, because seat 1300. So we were getting about 1,000 on a Monday night, pulling all these, every, every Monday, trying to get them the bigger vision, make it public too, people could look in. And uh, we were getting some, uh, like a shop window to what was happening in our little house churches, and getting and people saying, hey, this is bigger than the 20 meeting in my home. And so that was beginning to happen, beginning to happen. And uh, uh, that was, that was uh, taking place. And while I was there, I, I, I saw this guy, and he was, I, we drove all the way back up to his little home in Oban, and I thought, he ought to be living in Sacramento. And I just thought it, and immediately I thought it, and God, it's just like Nathan to David, thou art the man. It's like, huh? And it's like, what are you doing living in Seaford? You should be in Brighton. And because uh, that's the sort of central town in the county. And I, I moved then across. We started in a school hall, 
and then I thought we must get out of the school hall. I had 38 adult chairs in the school. If you were number 39, you had to bring your own chair and, or sit on a bit of plastic a box. And um, we prayed, Lord, give us a place. And I saw this place, Clarendon Mission, which everyone, every evangelical in Brighton knows that place. And I'd preached in it when I was very, very... And I first said, I want to be a preacher. My pastor said, well, go around the mission halls. And I preached there. It's like 25 uh, elderly people in a hall that could seat 450 and curtained back and a huge organ and uh, you know they were kind of camping out and uh, I walked past it I thought we should have this place and I, it was one of those times again when I'm praying, I'm praying with Dave Fellingham by that time had joined us and a guy called Henry Tyler whom you won't probably know at all and we're praying together one day and I, I said let's pray for that building and we prayed and prayed and prayed and it was one of those moments and it's a bit rare we knew, all three of us knew we've got it and we just sat back and said we've got it haven't we and it was so exciting I know we've got it now how you describe that I don't know but I knew we'd got it we prayed to a place, I know it's ours and uh, I thought well I don't want to do about that but I know it's ours and within a couple of weeks the pastor whom I'd never met phoned me and said I'd like to meet you and I said yeah come and have lunch and came at home and I thought now how do I get him to talk about the building so kind of preliminaries and then he came on to me and said I've heard about your growing church I wondered if you'd be interested in our building and I said hmm might be interested <laughs> and uh, and so we got it for nothing. We got it for nothing. And, uh, but he said, you know, you might like to come in. Now, to be honest, he was fairly recent pastor there. He was himself formerly a Pentecostal coming on this mission. He knew about our meetings at Hove Town Hall. He knew about the things that were happening. And I think he thought we could... So I said, we just need to know, if we come in, we must take over. There's no, there's no debate. We must take over. Well, no, I said, we're not, we're not interested in anything else. I'm not going to throw away any values to have your building. So we talked it out. I said, okay, what about me? Well, join our team. See how God, what God's got for you. Well, he, he, he joined our team for a few weeks. Blew up. And uh, we felt we got the building for nothing, but we spent thousands on doing it up because it was, you know, it was totally in a mess. So that, that was the first time, and we grew rapidly. Once we got in the building, we grew rapidly. And uh, um, I think the second one that Colin's talking about, we, we went from one con we filled that place. And it was, yeah, I won't go that way. The worship was, I just want to say, the worship was, as it had, we had to start all over again to, to, to cultivate the kind of worship we're looking for because these people weren't really used to that at all had to start all over again it was like going to see for originally oh wow to teach people about worship again being in the presence of God so you kind of went backwards but you gathered people gradually 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 it came through and, and then we filled the hall um, and then so we planted another congregation across town to Brighton Dave Fellingham and a guy called Steve Wolford planted a second congregation that grew and we filled again so I'm praying about it for Lord where do we go from here where do we go from here I want to and I thought slightly different subject but I'll mention it I thought Lord I need a bigger team I need, I need more people I need guys who can carry responsibility 
and uh, I don't know if you're Man United fans here at all, but at that time Liverpool were the dominant side, and I, I tell you, it's weird. I could tell you I was kneeling in my house praying. I could tell I was kneeling. I know exactly where I was. I'm praying, Lord, how do I build? Will I build this team to build a big church? I believe you want a big church in Brighton. Um, how do I build a team? And I felt God said to me, how have Liverpool uh, dominated British soccer for this last decade? I thought, well, they've, uh, they, they brought through young guys. There's a guy called Ronnie Whelan. I remember the first week he played. I thought, who's he? It was one of those come through their academy. They're these brilliant young guys. And then when they lost, they, they bought, bought in Dalglish or Keegan. Uh, this combination of buying in gifted and bringing through and I felt God spoke to me build a team that way and at that time there was a guy called John Hosier who was in a church in Kent and uh, he wanted me to help him make transition, I was visiting him regularly I thought he was going to make it, so I don't think I can bring this church through I said John you, they, you have their respect I'm sure you can, yeah I don't think I can I don't think I can and, uh, and then once I was away I came back and he, he left the church and gone to be a Bible college lecturer he ran away and uh, so he went to Bible college to become a lecturer, another couple of years later he phoned and said we hate being Bible college, we're pastors we want to be in a church so I thought John you're the first one so he's a terrific preacher great pastor so I said come and join our team and then we did a very small pastors conference, one of the very uh, first pastors conferences and there was a, a guy there called uh, John Wilson, who was a Baptist pastor um, in Littlehampton at the time and uh, he'd heard of us and he came to this conference and he, uh, I knew he was a great preacher and uh, he stood up in the session and said um, <laughs> it's quite funny I think it was the penultimate session he stood up and said I have been ruined by this conference he said I am fed up with being an umpire in the Baptist church he said I am going to give up and become a milkman I mean, he's really honest, he's transparent I'm going to be a milkman and I've had enough of it I'm, what I've seen here, I want this but I'll be a milkman I mean, he's made his decision, he's going and I thought, hmm, I like that and so I went to see him and talked to him I said, how do you like to join us? And he said to me, you don't even know me. <laughs> and I said, you're the most transparent man I've ever met. I know you very well. And he came, terrific preacher. And then we brought through our ranks three young guys. So we had five congregations, went from two to five, with that combination of young men we brought through and gifted men we brought in, which made a terrific team. Uh, so that was a, a quite an important growth point for us. The five congregations, I guess another lesson really that one had to learn, uh, maybe come back to it later, but as we went on, realized that one of the congregations, it was just the way people happened to be scattered around town. It had predominance of young families and lots of little children. And uh, actually, one of the guys who, whose Baptist background, he didn't realize what was happening but the church became like a Baptist church. And I realized, I thought you'd seen it all by now. But if he'd seen it, he couldn't reproduce it. And I popped in some Sundays, because once a month we'd all come together at Hope Town Hall on a Sunday morning. So we'd have a big crowd, thousand-ish, once a month, and then five congregations, the others. 
and I walked into this church I thought, oh dear, this isn't us at all. So that scared me. And another one was not really firing. Three of them just, woof, were going well. And then I felt God said to me again, you are hidden in back streets. I want you to hit this town. And we began to pray for another building. And uh, I felt we needed something big and central and visible. And that's the thing that uh, Colin's just referring to. We made an offer on a building. And at least we were in, it, was a, it was an industrial building in the heart of Brighton. And we asked permission if we could have it. And they said fairly lightly, oh yeah, make your bid, that's no problem with that. So we then, we took a, an offering. I mean, it was a real faith venture and absolutely thrilling, exciting, terrific giving. And the people gave an amazing amount of money. I had people in my ranks saying, Terry, you've taught us for years. God's interested in people, not buildings. Now you're saying you want us to raise money for buildings. You've lost your way. Uh, you know, you meet interesting experiences as you go along. And, uh, uh, and I, I thought, no, God's leading us this way. We're going to do it. I remember, again, another subject perhaps, we used to have a Saturday morning prayer meeting. I fought for that. I wanted a prayer meeting before the Sunday. And, uh, yeah, it's another subject maybe we'll come back to. But we'd, we'd had this Saturday morning prayer meeting, which had grown larger and larger and larger. And uh, we were going for 100,000. And uh, we were praying for 100,000. And uh, during the prayer meeting, I thought God said to me in the prayer meeting, you've got it, ask me for two. And I just said to the people, I said, I honestly believe we have 100,000 now. Let's ask God for 200,000. So, I mean, by that time, we'd learned to pray together. We'd learned to try and listen. We'd learned to be a prayer and praying force. And uh, so praying for 200,000. And then you know, I'm getting these things off, saying, you've lost it. You don't know what's happening in the congregation. and not with you. You won't get 20,000. Because our goals before were 20,000. Doing up Clarendon building, the old mission hall was like 20,000. We had the 20,000 offerings. We'd pray on the Saturday. We'd raise 20,000. We did it again and again. It was wonderful. 20,000. It was amazing from people we had. And then we are saying, no, 200,000 people. Say, you don't know what you're talking about. And we had a wonderful Sunday. And I remember when the letterbox flipped that night because it didn't have uh, phones and emails and stuff those days. Letters through the letterbox. And... Uh, I knew the writing. I remember going up to the bedroom. I said to Wendy, this will be what the offering was. <laughs> and uh, I opened it, and it said, just short of 250,000. So my knees buckled, and I sat <laughs> Just thought I could believe a quarter of a million. Man, alive. And then we put in our application, and they said, no, you can't have it. And there was a council meeting, and... Uh, it was, they, 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 they put it on southern television the council it's one of these little items you know the news uh, <laughs> when, you go, when you live in London we live in London the last five years the, the London news is like the national news it's exactly the same you can obviously see the break local news in Sussex it goes from you know, world news to cat was caught in tree in world <laughs> So the local news, so here we are, local church gets turned down by council, and the church of council walking around this room, and they say, they, in this church they say they dance, and these guys are jumping up and down, saying, not sure he could take it, and it's like, and they just mocked us, and said, uh, 
No, can't have it. It's industrial. Why would we give this up to church? It's industrial buildings, valuable property. And then, I mean, our people learned from television. They didn't have a chance for us to have a good church meeting and share it. It's there. And then they put the camera in my face and said, so what do you say now, Mr. Virgo? And I honestly just had a chest of faith. I said, we shall have it. And I was so thankful to God I found faith in my heart. I just said straight to camera. I saw a lady recently. I've forgotten where I was. I was somewhere. And a lady said, I remember when we used to be back in Brighton. Do you remember that time when you spoke to camera? I, was, I saw it on television. You said, we're going to have it. I thought, yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> we're going to have it. And uh, they said, oh, really? I said, yeah, we will have it. And so the, we prayed. <laughs> because we were told, uh, you know, if it was 60-40 vote on the council, you could make an appeal. If it was 70-30, 80-20, forget it. This was a 100% refusal. 100%. You cannot have it. So we prayed like anything. And we put in our appeal to a Mr. Mumford, whom I never met, but that was the name we used to pray for, Mr. Mumford, and uh, cry to God. And then the thing came through. We not only won our appeal, we won stuff we hadn't even asked for. I mean, it was just turned right around. So we, we got our building. And uh, yeah, I think that... I think that knowing God had raised... God had led us. God had done a miracle in raising the funds. I was... I just thought, we're going to have it. And uh, so... And Colin said, you know, how do you know that? How does the... I just knew it. And uh, I knew it in that moment. I was so grateful that I could say it straight out. No, we will have it. And it was a conviction. We will have it. And uh, praise God. I mean, we invited the council to our opening, which was fun. <laughs> I, think, I think that there was faith in my heart. Once I was, we were, I was away, I, was, I remember I was in um, uh, Taipei in Taiwan at a pastor's conference. And the church at home was wondering about this upstairs. I said, we've got to put another floor on top of that building. And again, it was one of those times, to be honest, when I was probably the only elder. And I saw a vision when I was out there of the seats and bleacher style. The seats banked up. Because we started a meeting that was on two stories, this building, had a ground floor and one more floor. And we started using that one floor. And uh, I, then we got to put another floor on top of it. And... Uh, funds were a bit drying up and all people said oh, no, I don't think we can do this and so on and uh, I saw a vision I saw the bleachers and I, I wrote home to Nigel who's my administrator at that time amazing man of God and uh, I just drew it on a fax machine, remember those things <laughs> I drew a picture and I said this is how it's got to be and sent it back and when I got back the elders said we can't afford it, we can't do it uh, let's do it without we can always add that later and I knew we'd never add it later. I thought, no, it's got to happen now. And I honestly believed we're going to, we will raise the funds for it. They said, no, it's a bridge too far. We can't do it. And it was one of those times where I had to... I love team being in unity. <laughs> but sometimes you just got to make the call. Sometimes. You don't want to be a bulldozer. You don't want to be a bully. I, I don't think it's in my temperament to be a bully. But sometimes you've got to stand ground. And I knew we had to do it. And I, know, I remember I was away the day they opened the building. I was in South Africa, I think. Um, but uh, Nigel videoed it. And uh, no one was allowed to see it until the day we opened. And uh, no one was allowed up. And uh, Nigel um, 
took a video of it as people came in and the camera going around and everyone was going, wow, look at this. And they all loved it from the beginning. And we said, this is what's made this building. And because we put the bleachers, it, it kind of pulls people in rather than losing them all out there. So it's some things you just find, I just found, I, I knew we had to do it. And I, I, I love, I, th I think team's huge. One of my strange experiences at the moment is I, I'm not in a team. First time, I don't know how long, I'm not in any team. But I used to be in the, the Brighton Church Eldership team, the UK New Frontiers team, the international team. My life was team life. That's, I love it. I love it so much. And it's weird now. But um, team is massive benefit of people that see things you can't see. And, and where you value the plurality. And I was asked by one of our year team people, what makes a good team? And I didn't have much time to think, and I just said, vulnerability. And I thought, no, that's what I really mean. I really believe that. that what, I, what do I mean vulnerability? I mean, everyone is needed. I know I need a team because I'm not very sharp at all sorts of things. And uh, so my t I need people who see what I can't see. And so I remember when we did our first Bible week, the Downs Bible week. And they, they said, would you do a Bible week? I said, well, how do you do, how do, you do a Bible week? And, uh, you know, we've got a higher field and circus tent and chairs. And, I thought, Whoa. and Nigel Ring kind of rubbed his hands together and said, oh, that would be fun. <laughs> Thank God for Nigel Rick. And, you know, down through the years, you find... And, I, and I, one of the great things about team, I think a team leader who's too strong doesn't need anybody. And the team kind of know that. Because he's so sharp and he's so clever and he's so accomplished that you're there really just to be his clones. And, you know, you do it. He's got the... So the ideas all pour out of him. It's not really a team. Uh, but I, I think a real team is where everyone knows I am valued on this team. And, and because the gift you bring, which makes the team work as a team. And I think that the, you need a team leader, not because he's always the one who has the answer. He doesn't prove he's the leader by always knowing the answer. He works as a leader sometimes by affirming the guy who comes with the answer. He said, now that's it. Of course it is. Or helping guys blend together. But if he, does give, if he gives off the kind of vibe that really doesn't need anybody because he's got all the answers anyway, that's not really a team. I, I work with teams because I needed team. I know I needed team. I, I guys that could see around corners. I mean, people like Colin and just incredible blessing to me for years because you, you see things I couldn't see, and, and you, you can affirm that, you can encourage that, you can be blessed by that. And over the years, when I knew we needed uh, to move into something bigger, I, I felt we're growing. We're growing. New Frontiers is growing now. We reached a certain stage when I thought, I need someone with some creativity. I think, we, I think we need to be broadcasting our message more. And I knew Nigel Ring was the most wonderful administrator. He's just absolutely incredible man. Loyal and incredibly skilled. He told me when Stonely ended, there were a thousand job descriptions. A thousand job descriptions that ran Stonely. 
people doing a thousand jobs like that. Anyway, you know, he could handle that. But and we needed somebody who could come up with ideas. Nigel, I would have a dream. Nigel would make it work. So when when I thought we, I prayed for the Brighton Centre. They built, I remember them building the Brighton Centre, 5,000 seater conference, I remember it being built. And I'm praying one day, Lord, we're going to meet there, we will have an international conference in the Brighton Centre. Next day on my desk, there's a literature about a Brighton Centre. I thought, what's this doing here? Nigel said, oh, you prayed about it yesterday. I mean, that's the kind of man, he's just an amazing man. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And, and then John Wimber came. And, and, and again, another story, but he used the Brighton Centre. And Nigel said, do you think that's what it was? What you? I said, no, it's not, we're going to do it. I knew it, we're going to do it. We will have it ourselves. But we hosted it for Wimber first, before we ever used it. And... Uh, I've forgotten where I was going, but uh, oh yeah. So I knew I knew we needed somebody, and a guy came to see me. His name was Adrian Willard, and he said he'd only been in the church for a year. And he said, "I'm at a crossroads. Can I see you? I've been invited by Kingsway Publishers. I've been invited by this. And I don't know which way to go." And he told me his skills, and I listened to him. And he said, "When I joined the church, he was just full of ideas." And Dave Fellingham knew him, and Dave Fellingham said to him. You, may, you can join the church, sit down and be quiet for a year. Which is <laughs> fascinating. Because uh, he's got so many ideas before breakfast. And uh, so he's, he changed me, he said, my year's up. And he said, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't, and I'm, I'm, so I said, I want to complicate your life more. I want you to join my team. Uh-huh. So... He, he came on board and the whole magazine we used to do, much that was developed at Stonely, he was just bright ideas guy and if I knew, Nigel was the, the detail make it happen man Adrian was the crazy idea, he would come to me everywhere, yeah, what about doing this I know this, what about this, no and, and he, he, he said I love, I love it when I get one that, when Terry's first response is over my dead body, he said when we do that, I love that, I love that. so I, I celebrated see some people say they're scared of Adrian because he's so quick he thought things through, quick and people were scared of him a bit because they thought he's not he doesn't conform he thinks outside the box you need to nail him down I thought no I know I've got his heart I really know I've got his heart I celebrate his creativity and if I crush him I I kill off that gift if I've got his heart let him fly he doesn't come to small group yeah I know he doesn't you know he can't cope with small group but he's got vision. I know I've got his heart. He's, he's not an arrogant man. And I, I think it's important that, that gifted guys, you don't have to crush everybody and make them all the same. You know, he's not, he doesn't fit in. He doesn't do. So people would speak to me about him. Mm, I'm a bit nervous of him. But I just, I, he was a hardworking, actually very beautiful guy. Extraordinarily creative. It helped us immensely. It helped us surge forward. Many things that happened at Stonely actually came from his ideas, his thinking that were creative and made it much more attractive thing to be. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Terry was talking about at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 64. See you next time.